Hey everybody, um, so good to be back. We were we were away for a couple weeks and um, missed being here on Sunday. So it's just awesome to be back here. And um, I'm really excited. This morning we have our guest preacher uh, Ben Patterson and his wife Loretta are here. They are like a mom and dad to me for like the last I don't know 25 years of my life. I've been shaped in so many ways through these amazing people of God and. Um, Excited to hear Ben preach this morning uh, from Psalm 63. So, um, Ben, why don't you come on up, and uh, I'll pray for you, and then we will open our hearts to God's Word through you this morning. Lord, I thank you for Ben and the ministry that you've uh, given him and how many lives that you've touched through him. Um, I thank you... As I look at my own life, in the countless ways I've been formed by Him uh, through Your Spirit, and I pray that You would um, give us ears and hearts that are open to You this morning. Give Ben uh, clarity and peace as he as he preaches Your Word this morning. Fill him with Your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, <coughs> fifty years ago. Uh, my 19-year-old bride and I uh, got married, and we moved to uh, Pacific Beach uh, just a few months after our marriage in March. Um, I might start crying, man. <laughs> but I look around at you all, I, I love, gosh, I love the, the, all the children. Now, we had, didn't have any kids yet, but we began our, our life together, and we began uh, my ministry uh, uh, Back then, so 50 years, March 27th, uh, other than follow Jesus, the best thing I ever did was marry her and uh, have those kids. <sighs> I'll get it together, just wait. Uh, you, you guys, uh, you have no idea what's ahead. Um, no idea. But it'll be good. Now, whether it's hard or easy, it'll still be good because we have a good shepherd. So I'm uh, kind of overwhelmed <laughs> with uh, seeing a bunch of people who looked a lot like Loretta and me <laughs> 50 years ago. <laughs> and uh, I'm just grateful to God's uh, for his, his presence in our lives and the chance to, uh, uh, to open the, God, the, the Word of God here. So I'm going to ask you to uh, just listen initially uh, to an ancient prayer. Uh, yeah, give or take, uh, 2,500 years ago, maybe 3,000, uh, prayed by David uh, in uh, the wilderness probably uh, fleeing from his son who wants to murder him. It's hot, it's dry, he's lonely, he's distressed, and uh, this is the prayer he prayed. And uh, I just want you to listen to it. I'm going to say some things about it, but believe me, whatever I say about it won't be half as good as what he prayed. Uh, it is the Word of God. So, David praying. God, 
You are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My, my soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. I remember you on my bed, and I thank of you through the watches of the night. I sing in the shelter of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. They who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. And all who swear by God's name will praise him. While the mouths of liars will be silenced. And this is uh, the prayer of a good man, mostly, but it is the word of God. Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I'm going to preach two sermons this morning, both short. They'll add up to one regular length sermon. And the first sermon will be about the second sermon. And it's simply, why should you care about this prayer? Why should you care about, well, the Psalms? Why should they matter? Well, let me give you three good reasons. They, first of all, they teach Jesus to us. Uh, Jesus, on Resurrection Sunday, it would appear, at least, from Luke's gospel, that he went right from the tomb to find two guys walking disconsolately on a road to Emmaus, uh, just distressed and, and completely discouraged about the death of who they thought would be their savior. And for some reason, well, I think I know what it is, he, he hid his identity from them. They, their eyes were, were darkened, uh, and I think it's because he wanted to, to lead them in a Bible study. And if they knew who was talking to them, they, they wouldn't have paid attention to anything he said. They just would have been dazzled. So he waits to take them through the scriptures. And what he says to them, you know, you should have known what happened. It was, it was going to happen, what it was about, because, well, the whole Bible is about me. Well, he said about Jesus or about the Messiah. And then later on, when he did talk to disciples who recognized him, he said, the Psalms were all about me. So one reason to care about the Psalms is that Jesus says, they're about me. Well, uh, secondly, now ponder this. They, they taught Jesus how to pray. Now, I know what you're thinking. He's... Uh, the incarnate Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, 
uh, eternally begotten of the Father, and yet the mystery of the incarnation is that God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That means he was an infant. Go figure. A 12-year-old preparing for his bar mitzvah. He had to learn how to pray. And he learned from the Psalms. Furthermore, uh, when he was hanging on the cross at the darkest moment of his life, here we have God's own son who's now fully aware of who he is and, and knows the scriptures. Uh, and, and when he wants to pray, where does he go? He goes to the Psalms. I mean, here is the original, I mean, the, the ultimate original thinker, extemporaneous prayer, you know. He can just talk about anything he wants at length. But when Jesus is dying, he goes to the Psalms. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew the whole psalm. Psalm 31, verse 5. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. A sweet way to get close to Jesus would be to pray with him. Now, all prayer, ultimately, is prayer with Jesus. We don't pray because uh, we want to get his attention. We pray because he got ours, uh, and he's right now interceding for us. But if you want to get real specific, go to the Psalms, and you'll be doing something with Jesus, something he did. And thirdly, they, they matter because they teach us how to pray. The Psalms are the longest and most quoted book in all the Bible. And it's a book of prayers. Does prayer matter to God? Well, he get, the longest book he gave us in his word is a book of prayers. And the longest prayer in that book of prayers is an extended prayer or meditation on the word of God. Psalm 119, 176 verses. They teach us how to pray the same way they taught young Jesus how to pray. I'm told that Thomas Aquinas, the great 12th century theologian, uh, he said there's three things we need to know. Uh, it's like a three-legged stool. Uh, what to believe, uh, what to do, that's morality, ethics, etc. You know, there's theology, what to believe, what to do, ethics, and the third one is how to pray. Uh, you, know, you know, the devil is probably, probably knows more theology than we do. Now, he doesn't believe it or he hates it. Uh, the devil probably knows better what moral living's about. He hates it, but he knows it. But the one thing <laughs> the devil just can't get his mind around is prayer. He hates prayer. Because what do you do when you pray? You enter into a profound face-to-face -face relationship with the God we believe in, the God we obey. It makes it personal. It gets inside of us because it is a relationship. Now, I've been on a long journey <laughs> learning how to pray. Uh, I remember when I was 19 years old, I, I went to a college conference at a place called Forest Home and heard a man named J. Edwin Orr uh, speak on revivals, spiritual awakenings among college students throughout history. And uh, it, was, it, was quite a, it was quite an evening. He, uh, 
I, didn't, I, I just knew he was smart. I, I didn't know anything about Forest Home or College Revivals. I knew I was in college, and I was, I was already discouraged by how intransigent college and academic life was to the life of faith. And then, so I walked into this, this place called Hormel Hall. Uh, it's supposed to seat about 400. I think it had 500 students in it. It was a hot August night. Sound like a Neil Diamond song. And uh, uh, I just dated some of you, you know, <laughs> you know that song. Uh, and I remember all I, all I could see, I'm 19, I'm just looking around at the girls. And, uh, and then J. Edwin Orr walked out, and he's this little Welshman. He has a, he's, it's hot night, he's wearing a tweed jacket, you know, and a, and a wool tie, Coke bottle thick glasses, and he did something. And I've worked with students for 25 years. I like to work with students. I'm used to students. I'm pretty good with them. Uh, but he did something I would never dare to do. He lectured for an hour and a half on student revivals uh, and, and the role that prayer played in them. And all I know is I walked away from that, and I thought, man, I want, I want to do that. I, you know, and he talked about all-night prayer meetings, two hours of prayer, whatever. I went back to my buddies, and we're all in college. We're working in a, an outreach called uh, Young Life. And uh, I told him about what I heard, and I said, let's, let's pray for two hours. Let's pray for heaven to come down and, and break open the campus and, and open people's eyes and win people for Christ. Let's just do it. Let's get down and do it. Two hours of prayer. So we, we're all together, 19 or 20, something like that. And one of us uh, had a job in a local church. So he asked the pastor, he said, you know, he's a custodian. He said, could we, could we come over some night and just have a two-hour prayer meeting? Of course, the pastor said yes. Oddly, uh, that night we went there uh, Every single room in the church was being used by something else or someone else. That's odd. You, know, you go to pray in a church and you can't find a room to do it in. However, there was a janitor's closet. It was a big closet. And I remember going in there, like four or five of us, and uh, you know, I still remember, I can still recall the smell of detergent and stuff like that. And we went to our knees in prayer praying two hours. We prayed for the high school. We prayed for every student we knew. We prayed for every teacher we knew. We prayed for everything we could think of. We poured out our hearts to God. We, we laid hold of God, and we were just done. And I looked at my watch, and 15 minutes had gone by. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when it came to pour out my heart to God, uh, I realized there wasn't a lot to pour out. And the next hour, and 45 minutes was a long hour and 45 minutes, but it got me started. But the Psalms and other parts of Scripture, they teach us prayer, the way children learn language. You know, you know what precedes language with children mostly is listening or hearing. Now, people like Helen Keller, who could not hear, they, they still learned how to speak, but it's hard that speaking is preceded for children by listening. And, and maybe they know how to cry. They know how to, uh, to let their discomfort be known. But, but at the end of the day, and, and boy, we've, we've got, we're, we're on our 10th grandchild, and I just see this over and over again. They, they listen. Oh, do they ever listen. And they copy, and they mimic. And after a while, they make it their own. And their speech becomes their own. But it starts with listening and copying. And so the Psalms teach prayer that way. And another thing they teach is about prayer, as with language. Uh, learning a language is not just so you can express yourself. 
It's much more. It's so you can understand what others are saying. And so there we go. We're back into why prayer is so important. It's a conversation with God. And so the Psalms have always been uh, the prime way God's people have been taught prayer. Now, there's some great prayers in the Bible. I, I, I commend you that the, Paul, the prayers of Paul the Apostle, they're wonderful. But his prayers were informed by the Psalms. Jesus' prayer, the one he gave us, our Father who art in heaven, that's, every line in that, song, in that prayer is, is just a, a derivation. It's a distillation of what he got from the Psalms as he learned how to pray. So, turn your Bible into prayer. That's the end of my first sermon. Second sermon, the psalm he heard, the prayer. Uh, it's a psalm of longing and desire. Uh, St. Augustine, a fourth century uh, man of God who, along with just a very few people, second only to the scripture and its influence on Christian people, uh, he said this about his desires. He, and he, he had some desires, uh, some bad ones. But he said, you made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And Augustine, in his confessions, uh, we find out that his whole life was a, a, a matter of him learning to set his desires in order. In fact, that's the language he used. He called it setting love in order. Uh, everybody loves trouble is we love the wrong things or in the wrong ways. But again, the, the Christian life for Augustine, and he gets this from the Psalms, Psalms like Psalm 63, where it's so obvious, was about setting love in order. Uh, I have a really fine book on spirituality. It's a thick one, and I, I'll, I'll get around to reading the whole thing eventually. But I love the title. It says, it's about prayer. It says, the fulfillment of all desire. God is why you hunger ultimately. God is why you suffer, ultimately. It's all about him, ultimately. And so the psalm you heard, oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you. And he's really hungry, really thirsty physically, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 16, the psalm that was the first, the text of the first Christian sermon on the day of Pentecost, it ends with this, you made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. In Psalm 73, uh, whom have I in heaven but you, and earth? Earth has nothing I desire besides you. Hmm. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. Now, I don't know who said this. It's been attributed to a lot of people. But he said, there are two men, one knocking on the door of a brothel, and the other kneeling at the communion rail, are both looking for the same thing. But one is looking in the wrong place. So David has strong desires, physical desires. He's got a broken heart. 
And his prayer is a wonderful example in which Jesus would say, now pay attention, this is ultimately about me. It's a wonderful example of what it means to believe something, to know you have to do something, and to turn it into prayer. Wonderful. So I've got three headings for examining this psalm. I got them from a wonderful biblical commentator by the name of Derek Kidner. Most of his books are out of print, too bad. But I'm going to give you his three headings for the psalm. Uh, the rest is my stuff, but the first one is desire. The second one is delight. The third one is defense. Let's start with desire. David and Jesus praise his hunger, his restlessness, and his desire. He says, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Uh, my soul yearns for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land. And, and here he is. He's really physically thirsty and hungry. He has all these longings, and he turns his longings into a prayer. And do you see the dignity that gives him? The same kind of dignity that Jesus was pointing to when, when people came to him. 5,000 people, they wanted more food from the last feeding. And Jesus, uh, who doesn't sound very nice here, says to them, said, now you're coming to me again because you've got your bellies full. Don't, don't work for that food. Work for the food that will make you live forever. Well, you're more than your belly, is what he's saying. And David knows he's more than his thirst. He's more than his belly. He's more than his broken heart. Uh, David knows he's, he's bigger than that. He's better than that. And so what he does, he takes his, his, again, his longings, and he turns them into prayer. And with that, he becomes more than what he longed for. Here's a good way to pray. Think about what you want, especially what you are hurting about. Turn them, these things, toward God. Do not pray only that they be removed or satisfied. I pray that. But pray that they become reminders and parables of your need for God, the ultimate fulfillment of your desires. And pain and suffering and frustration and anxiety can become sacramental experiences if you let them lead you to their deeper meaning in God. Okay, I'm going to spring a part of a poem on you. It'll be short. Uh, this is a great poem by George Herbert, a 17th century Anglican priest who wrote the finest devo devotional poetry, as far as I know, in the, in the history of the English language. I like to say that because I'm, I'm hoping someone can show me something better. Uh, but he's so good. But in this poem, it's called The Pulley, and he... He pictures God as kind of a, in a workshop, and he's got kind of an empty husk of a human. And he's pouring blessings into the human, things like uh, strength and beauty and wisdom and honor and pleasure. And he, he's just about poured everything into the human that he can. There's only one thing left, and the word that Herbert uses for it is rest. What he means is satisfaction, you know, fulfillment. It, he's, he's got it all. And he stops and decides not to pour rest into this person, into whom he's poured all kinds of wonderful things. And, and I'm quoting Herbert's words. He says, 
or as God says in Herbert's pen, God says, for if I should, said he, bestow this jewel on my creature, rest, satisfaction, fulfillment, he would adore his gifts instead of me and rest in nature, not the God of nature. So both should losers be. Yet, let him keep the rest, but keep them with repining restlessness. Let him be rich and weary. That at least if goodness lead him not, yet weariness may toss him to my breast. Well, I like that. I've seen you in the sanctuary, David says. Uh, I've seen something of your glory. And that's why my lips praise you. Because I've, I've got a glimpse of your glory. Now, I, I was, I've been a pastor most of my adult life. And uh, 25 years with college students and uh, 18, I believe, with uh, regular congregations. And, I, and this is a, a compliment I got Thank God I got a lot of these over the years. Uh, someone really liked what I led them in, you know, and they would, uh, this is typical. Don't, don't, if you said this to Obed, uh, he won't hold it against you, and, uh, and, and I sure won't, but, I, but this, is, this would be the, the most common compliment I would get after I preached a good sermon or we had a great worship service. They'd walk out and say, God, man, that was great. It's too bad we have to go back to the real world now. Thought about that? You ever said it? And when I was a young pastor, I was pretty immature, and I'd say, well, I'd try to correct them. Uh, but what I wanted to say, and what I did say sometimes, is that, wait, 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 wait. In this service, what you saw was real. Yeah, that's real. The trick is now to remember it when you go out into the world. It's not that that's unreal, but, but there's a greater reality here. And so David says, I saw you in the sanctuary, and listen to this. Jesus says, I am the sanctuary. The word became flesh and tabernacled itself among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Bernardo Clairvaux, a 12th century French Benedictine monk, you probably sung some of his songs. Jesus, thou joy of loving hearts, thou fount of life, thou light of men. Oh, this is so good. From the best bliss that life imparts, we turn unfilled to you again. Desire. Desire is a good thing. You know, what's God's gripe with us? Is it that we want too much? No. It's that we're satisfied with so little. Uh, the great essay of C.S. Lewis's, uh, I can't preach a sermon without sometime talking about him, but he, he kind of poses the question. He said, now, does God think we want too much or too little? And, uh, and he says this, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. 
like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Well, that's the main part of the second sermon. Desire. Uh, the second thing that the psalm touches on is delight. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. Um, if, if ever there was a language of pleasure, uh, I can't, that would be me. Uh, Eugene Peterson in the, in the message translates it. Uh, uh, <laughs> I love this. He said, my soul will be satisfied as with prime rib and gravy. I have a friend who, uh, very lean, very fit, and uh, he, he and I worked together for, uh, well, eight for 18 years at Westmont College, and, and we, we became great friends, but our friendship was almost ruined at the beginning because we had him over for dinner. And again, he's a runner, and he's really focused, and, you know, and it, he looks like it, you know, doesn't look like me, he just, man, he's going for it. And he said, oh, yeah, for me, food is just fuel. For me, food is love, it's romance, it's poetry, it's, it's music. <laughs> well, David says, my soul will be satisfied as with prime rib and gravy. Yeah. Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of humankind? Yeah. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Peter's letter to uh, uh, the, the exiles in Asia Minor. Uh, he's describing their life, and they're being persecuted, but he, he loves us. He, uh, he says at the end of his, his comments about persecution, or one of his comments, he says, uh, though, you, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him. And, and again, Peter assumes that these people would know exactly what he was talking about. You believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy because you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Oh, this has been tough for me. I am a man of unruly desires. <laughs> but I know it's true. Uh, my high, one of my high school buddies, a guy I graduated with, helped form the, uh, the uh, Dervener Snitchell chain, the hot dog stands, you know. I just mentioned that because when we were here, the first four years of our marriage, uh, Loretta and I were in, invited to dinner to, to close friend's house. And she's a gourmet chef, and, uh, but she's little. And so she, she served little portions. And so... Uh, <laughs> So we'd go to her house for a meal, and it was just beautifully, beautifully presented. It was just tasty, and, but it was so small. And I wanted, you know, three helpings to just to get, you know, to get filled up with it. But, so on this one particular day, she had, she had moved, and she had invited Loretta and me to come for dinner. And we were, we were in separate cars, and I, I was trying to find her house. And I, big mistake, I had not eaten lunch that day. And so I was really hungry, and I'm thinking, I'm going to go to her house, and she's going to be, give me a great meal, but I'm going to leave hungry. So as I was driving around, you know, the La Mesa area through there, uh, there was a, uh, kept driving by the Derviner Schnitzel uh, hot dog stand. And boy, it smells so good. 
And really, there are times, right? There are times when a hot dog is just about the best. And so I kept driving by that place and smelling the hot dogs. And uh, I thought, I'll just get a snack before I go to her place. And so I, I won't be unhappy at the end of the meal. So I, it was, was drive-through, and I looked at the menu. Gosh, it's a huge menu. There's like 15 different hot dogs. So how to choose? So I chose a regular hot dog, a chili dog, uh, you know, onion dog. And, uh, and of course, you, get, you need fries with a hot dog, right? So I had fries, and then I uh, ordered a giant whatever it was, and I, I sort of ruined my dinner that night by eating hot dogs. Well, we're satisfied with so little. Uh, so little. Friends, we need, we need to pray for God to give us new hearts. And that is precisely the promise of Scripture. In Ezekiel chapter 36, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Yeah. God says, don't run away from your hungers. Let me sanctify them. Let me give you a new heart and a new spirit. Bernard of Clairvaux again, we taste thee, O thou living bread. And long to feast upon thee still, we drink of thee the fountain head. And thirst our souls from thee to fill. Delight. It's a good thing. And defense. The third category of uh, Derek Kidner. Uh, the psalm ends with a, a defiant hope and a warrior spirit. And if I leave you with anything, I want to leave you with this one. They who seek my life. Now we're pretty sure we know who David was thinking about. But hear me, there really are those who seek your life and your children. And I'm not talking, thinking about a particular political party or some institution. I mean, they may embody these things, but no, there are, as Paul says, though we live in the world, we, we do not wage war as the world does. Uh, because our, our real enemy, our, our, the, the enemy of our souls powers and principalities, the powers of darkness. There are, there are things, there are intelligences that want to ruin you. They do. So we should say, as David says, they who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. It's like the good thing about the Psalms. You ever tried that language out in your prayer? I remember I was with a group of students, and uh, Psalm 3 was another psalm that David wrote when he was uh, trying to get away from uh, Absalom. And uh, he says, uh, says uh, you know, from the Lord comes deliverance. Lord, break the jaw of the wicked. Uh, smash the teeth of the disobedient. So I looked at these college guys, and I said, have you ever let your voice uh, be appropriate to the words of the psalm you're praying? You know, so you want to try it? And this great kid I ended up doing his wedding some years later. But he 
said, okay, uh, Lord, would you just, 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 uh, just break the teeth of the wicked? Break their jaws? Well, they started laughing. You know. You know. Now we're thinking, well, who do, do we want to break someone's teeth? No, well, we, sometimes we do. But no, that's not what it's about. Jesus, look, read it through the lens of the New Testament, and Jesus says, your enemies are not flesh and blood. On occasion, they may be, though. But regularly, routinely, universally, they're the powers of darkness, and they deserve our extreme prejudice and hatred. In the Psalms, it teaches to pray that way. Food for jackals. Jackals eat the scraps on the carcass after the lions finish off the good stuff. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. I uh, had heard a good sermon on this theme many years ago, and in the last church I pastored, I, I was really excited about it. And uh, the, the, uh, kind of the, the, the thing was said over and over in the sermon was, to live is to fight. I believe that. Just, it's not whether you're going to fight, it's, it's what you fight. But you, need to, you need to be a fighter. Paul said, I want this on my gravestone. I've fought the good fight, I've run the race, I've kept the faith. We need to be warriors, because God is a warrior. So I was, always, I was just buzzed by all this, and I went back, and I quoted that line, to live is to fight. And this dear lady, you know, she just, she was appalled. I was her pastor, and I said that. And, and uh, she said, no, 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 no. For me to live is Jesus. I say, precisely. Precisely. To live is to fight. In the Heidelberg Catechism, great 16th century teaching document for the Reformed Church. Uh, the line, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It says, and I quote, it's an explanation of that, by ourselves we are too weak to stand even for a moment. And our sworn enemies, sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh never stop attacking us. The Lord, give us your spirit so that we may not go down to defeat in this spiritual warfare. Desire the good things, delight in the good things, fight for what's good. Uh, I'm going to close with an illustration that just came to my mind when I was preparing this message. The first, it's kind of a parable, really. But the first sermon I ever preached when I was 19 years old, uh, I was in a college group uh, east of L.A., and uh, we went to the Union Rescue Mission uh, in downtown. And they, they had, they, over the years, they've had a great ministry. And uh, what they did, is we, we college students would come in on a Saturday night, and we put on kind of a gospel program. We'd give a short sermon. We'd sing some songs. And all these, these men off the streets, homeless, uh, derelict, drunk, you know, insane in some cases, but just out, down and out. And they would get a free meal that night, but they, to get to the free meal, they had to sit down and hear the, the sermon. You know. and, uh, and, of course, they were just putting up with it. And, and I don't blame them, but I just remember, I was 19 years old. I'd never preached a sermon, and I had, I had worked, I thought, a great passage for this sermon. 
would be John from John 11, where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And, you know, he comes to the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And, you know, he came forth. I thought, that'd be a great sermon for these guys to hear. Uh, it's naive in many ways. But, I, but anyway, so I, and I had worked on that sermon uh, so hard. I, never, I didn't try to memorize it. I just did in, in the course of just working on it. Well, these men came in, and they, they, were, they were needs everywhere. And, uh, and I, I knew so little about their lives, but there was this need just written all over their faces. And they wanted to get to the food. I, I understand they did. I know why they wanted to get to the food. I would do. But, uh, but I was trying in my own lame little way as a 19-year-old to, to, to bring the Word of God to bear on that situation. So I'd really worked on a sermon, and, uh, and I'd practiced. I, I had a dramatic pause in my sermon where I was going to say, and Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, and it'd be a dramatic pause. And then I said, and he came forth from the grave. And then they, they could have dinner. Well, I'm not making fun of them. I, I've been right there. But when I said, Lazarus, come forth, and in the dramatic pause, the guy in the front row who was sleeping snored very loudly. <laughs> and some laughed. I thought, that's the way it is, isn't it? Uh, addicted, you know, hungry, disconsolate, lonely, lost. We want to be filled. But we're looking in the wrong places. God help us. And he will. God is gracious. God is generous. Don't stop wanting. Keep it on. But let God sanctify it. Let him baptize your desires. Wow. Father in heaven, Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for your tender care and compassion for us and our lostness. Lord, I thank you for the ways you've been patient with me and my unruly desires, my rebellious desires. And Lord, how you have satisfied me with good things. And my youth has been renewed like the eagle's. Lord, I pray for all who sit here this morning who feel empty. Lord, fill them up with what's good. Yes, Lord, do that right now. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.